0: Welcome to The Leadership Mind. I'm your host, Massimo Bakis. This show is about the stories, assumptions, and perspectives that either create or block our ability to lead. In this podcast, we'll speak with those that are in the arena, the leaders themselves. By trade and training, I'm a leadership coach and facilitator with a relentless curiosity for helping people, teams, and organizations thrive in pursuit of making their vision and purpose a reality. The goal is to bring you new insights, perspectives, and practices To help you lead authentically navigate your career intentionally and grow high-performing teams successfully my hope is that in these episodes you will witness humility where we celebrate our failures as much as our successes curiosity where we share wisdom and insights openly and community where we grow together let's explore the leadership mind hey everybody welcome back to another episode of the leadership mind i'm your host Massimo bacchus and today i'm joined by ricky singh Ricky is one of those people that when you hear his story, you're going to be amazed. Somebody who has a story of passion, perseverance, uh, resilience, and I would say just a a heavy dash of intellectual horsepower. He is an executive and entrepreneur in the space of IoT, the Internet of Things. Um, And Ricky, we're excited to have you here and and learn more about you. Such a pleasure to be here and uh, humbled by your
1: introduction. Thanks so much, Maslow.
0: Oh, they're all true words from, from, you know, the moment, our first conversation I've been uh, just really in awe of if uh, the way that you have led yourself through your career that you haven't looked for any shortcuts that you've led with curiosity. There's always been, uh, it seems like um, a very firm standing of betting on yourself and believing in yourself. Um, And, and that is a that's a, a gift to have. And it, it, it seems like it's something that you do not have in short supply. So I, I want to go back kind of to, to the beginning for you. You know, where did this all start? This like there is just like this inherent belief that you have in yourself. And yet, for those that are listening, this will come through in this conversation. Ricky is also an incredibly humble person. So I'm not talking about self-belief um, and grandiosity. I'm talking about believing in yourself with hard work and um, but also being humble about that. So, Ricky, where where, like take us back to kind of the origin stories before you were, uh, you know, the man on the main stage um, talking about the future of uh, the future of the Internet of Things?
1: Uh, well, I have one person, I guess, to thank the most. Um, and that would be my father and, and kind of watching him lead by example, even though I don't think he realized he was leading by example. Um, you know, and the, the way the story started, I was born in India um, to a, a good middle-class family. My, my dad started his business when he was 17, selling truck tires underneath uh, a, a staircase uh, that, you know, he realized during his college uh, experience that entrepreneurship was for him. Uh, and made a, a great business out of that. And um, for, for challenges, you know, money and family always uh, mix like oil and water. We uh, ended up having to leave India. My dad left the business behind. I was nine at the time, and, and I was just excited to be going to America, right? Like that was super um, uh, sort of inspiring for me
0: that, oh, I get to experience this, this new part of life. Not what was it really like reck- for you? Do, can you remember what that was like for you? And, and I, um, and I asked because I think, you know, for anyone who hasn't, you know, lived somewhere else, let alone moved yeah. at a young age, in you know, formative when you're like, when you're still um, creating your concept of the world, yeah. what was it like to, to kind of shift environments like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect. I think um, the, the the United States in general globally has this perception of utopia for people. It's, it's the land where, where dreams uh, transpire. And, and I was just, you know, I, I still remember this part. My, my dad said, hey, you know, I, I, my minivan has windshield wipers that go out from the center and, and not normal. And I just remember that part specifically. I was like, wow, like that is so cool, right? Um, and I, I really didn't know what to expect. I was the youngest of of four kids. I had three older sisters. I'd always kind of been shielded. Um, and I had a very rosy picture of what was about to happen, right? Getting on a plane and going to the U S and man, my life was about to change. And I heard, heard about those air max 95s that were going to allow me to jump a little bit higher. And I was amped up, but, um, the reality was quite different. We left a very cushy lifestyle with, you know, help around the house, and my my mother had her own business, my dad had his own business. We we never had a shortage of anything, and came to an environment where the the six of us were were living in a, a two bedroom basement um, in in the U S. Right. So, um, and even then, I, I still think being being uh, nine or ten years old, you kind of your needs are limited. You're kind of like, okay, it's, it's not a big deal. We'll see how it goes. Um, but uh, to your question about what started that, that journey and belief in myself was watching my father in now his forties with four mouths to feed literally start his life over again. Right. Um, he started in a, a business in um, shopping malls selling uh, jewelry and leather goods. So he would you know, drive to New York and and buy them wholesale and come back. And we had a, maybe a six foot by eight foot cart in, in the shopping mall. I know nobody goes to malls anymore. It's just about Amazon. But uh, back then that's where your shopping happened. Like and a kiosk
0: is what you're like saying. A kiosk. You're yeah, a kiosk. exactly. Okay.
1: Yeah. So my weekends um, were spent uh, at the shopping mall and we couldn't afford daycare and my parents weren't going to leave us behind. So the six of us would pile into that minivan with the cool wipers and we'd go to the shopping malls and uh, you know, spend uh 14 to 18 hours, um, selling jewelry or selling leather. And just to see, um, that, that perseverance from my, my dad, the, the ethic and his, just the smile on his face and and wanting to treat people right through it. Right. That's the one thing that I can say. Um, you know, he, he will give you the shirt off his back and he'll smile while he's doing it. He has not wronged people in his journey. And um, and, I, and when you know he and I talk, and maybe towards the later end of the conversation, I'll, I'll come back to uh, you know, his, his current state. But when he and I talk, I always tell him, dad, you got us from one to 10. Uh, it's my job to get us from 10 to 100. I, I can't do 10 to 20, right? We need compounding interest in our efforts here. Um, but that's really what kicked it off was working in those shopping malls. And yeah, there were challenges in school, right? I, I went to a, an English speaking school in India but I was put into an ESL program here. Um, when I first moved here, I, I wore a turban. I had long hair, which, you know, in the nineties and in a predominantly white neighborhood in, in Northern Virginia, wasn't very accepted. Um, and I, you know, I got punched in bathrooms and there were challenges through that journey, but I think I just, um, I had a support system of my family around me. Uh, and I, um, we have a a little WhatsApp group with the family called The Original Six. The family's grown, right? I have a wife now, my sisters have husbands, and I have nieces and nephews. But that group signifies to me that strength of that original group of six people that saw that transcontinental move, that lived through that two-bedroom basement, and that fortunately has reaped um, not just the the successes of uh, our our hard work, but the the values that our parents bestowed in us through through that phase.
0: Man, that is incredible! Just um, the work ethic that you learned from that, but your perspective on it, and I I can only imagine that there must have been some some hard days as a kid assimilating and um, you know trying to find your your space in 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 the world as you as you were coming up. So you you spent all this time in the kiosk, you essentially, um, you know, we're on the front line of like, what it means to be in service to other people and to, to have that kind of hustler spirit from a very early age. Um, what what did you take from that? And how did you start to view the world when you kind of emerged from school and like realize you had opportunities to to start moving from ten to a hundred. Yeah, so so interesting.
1: Through then, yes, learned um, I guess most about working with people and and um, customer service, right? First and foremost, especially if you're in a shopping mall, there's three other kiosks like you. Why you? What's the difference? You know, sterling silver, sterling silver. It's not any different. Hopefully, it's it's being sold the same way across. So that's the ethical boundary that I mentioned earlier. But I, uh, I spent, uh, my, my mom and dad still laugh because I spent a lot of those days when I wasn't helping at the kiosk, uh, walking around the mall and making friends. like I, I was the kid that everyone knew. And when I, uh, when we could afford to buy my first bicycle, if you remember Montgomery Ward, I had a you know friend at Montgomery Ward that got me an employee discount on my first bike. And I, it was just a, a moment for me to uh, use my personality and make friends and get to know people and make the best of a situation. Um, around the time that I entered high school it wasn't you know my parents fortunately at this point had multiple locations they had a bit of a staff working for them Uh, and I I think the thing that probably kept me at home was just not driving everybody was out of the house and I'd come back home after school and kind of sit there and watching tv just wasn't my thing so I got a job at Subway in the shopping center down the street for me at, at 14 years old I think it was the first time that they could legally employ me to work a maximum of 20 hours so Started making sandwiches, and again, that that uh, you know curiosity and meeting people and, and engaging with customers was great. But I, I kind of between the experience of kiosks and and Subway, I kind of thought retail was going to be my journey. Right, that that like that's a, a world that I knew and a world that I could be successful in. And during undergrad, um, I had an opportunity to, after having worked with my brother-in-law in in, in the now wireless retail space, we had cell phone stores at some point, had an opportunity to start my own business running wireless stores, Uh, opened my first store in 2007 while I was a sophomore in undergrad and was balancing um, going to school full-time and and running a business full-time. And while I probably knew more than most people about running a shop, right? Which was, hey, customers coming in, give them goods, take good care of them. I knew very little about running a business. And there's absolutely a distinction between the two. So there was a big learning curve there for, um, you know, doing the finance side, the marketing side, the accounting side. And it, it was nice. I, I went from one store and expanded into a different market, did various stores, um, you know, through that few year journey in wireless retail. At some point I was running about 14 stores. But I was still running them as shops, as opposed to businesses, and it just left me completely uninspired, tired, uh, and and I kind of lost sight of why retail had been exciting for
0: me. Yeah, Ricky, talk about the distinction between running them as shops and and businesses, and like and what did that mean for you? If when you think about your mindset and the way that you ran each location, you had, you had like fourteen locations at one time. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So- yeah.
1: Um, so so I think you know, having seen the way my parents operated and, and how I still see is in, in many businesses today and mom and pops, they the, the business is built upon the people that are inside of that individual location, right? Um, and they don't think about you know, the business usually can't operate without them there. And that would be the one test is like what would happen tomorrow if you weren't there holding the key to your store, right? Uh, Would it still open? Would the people still get the same experience? Would it still be profitable? And I will tell you seven, maybe eight times out of 10 of the small businesses that we engage with on a day-to-day basis, that would not be the case, right? The business would cease when that individual stopped providing those services directly to their customers. And I think that's kind of, you know, I needed to be there. I needed to be creating the schedule and I needed to be doing the payroll and ordering the inventory. I just took the model I knew of one store, and I replicated it over 14 stores, but I just spread myself out over 14 places, as opposed to creating a structure that was really around building a team around me that could, that, that, that could echo what I did, that ran the business the way that I did. Uh, and you know, you we've all heard of the principal agent problem. And yes, that does exist in, in most cases. Not everyone's gonna run a business the way you do, but starting from
0: understanding. Go ahead, and, go ahead and explain the principal agent problem for people that might not know what, what it is.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it, it's, uh, a, a I guess, rooted in uh, psychology and um, economics and uh, in its fundamentals. But the principal agent problem is that um, the, the principal and agent usually have different incentives in an in exchange, right? Um, the the uh, owner of a business uh, and let's say a manager is going to have different reasons for doing what they're doing, and they're usually not aligned. So uh, how do you manage the interest of the principal and the interest of the agent in the same way, knowing that those, those incentives are aligned? Um, it's it's not an easy, there's no one answer to it, which is why it's a fundamental issue in, in running businesses, corporations, uh, anything, right? Um, so understanding that, you know, how do you align those intensive? How do you empower people around you? How do you create an organization that can survive without you being there? That was something that um, I learned the difficult way, right? Um, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about where my journey went from there. I ended up selling the business. This was around now 2010, 2011, where the economic downturn really impacted small business owners. Um, and I, I kind of really needed to slow down. There was a few years of my life that were just so exciting, right? Being in your early 20s and, you know, having a business and, and you know, your definition of success is, Oh, I bought my first apartment. I bought my first car and I've got money in the bank. And, you know, my dad's proud. My son's running his own business. I didn't really have time to sit down and reflect upon how I felt about all of these changes and whether my personal goals and aspirations were being met. Um, And once I sold the business, it became very clear that um, I wasn't using the creativity in my mind. I wasn't, um, you know, I hadn't really seen the world in the way that I wanted to and learned about different problems in different industries. Uh, so I went back to school, I finished my undergrad, and then I went into consulting, which, you know, having hindsight now would have allowed me to run my business as a business and not a set of stores.
0: Yeah. So, and I want to go back to that because I think there are today, you know, retail landscape has has changed tremendously. Um, but for anybody that is an online entrepreneur of any sort of business or any service or product that they're selling, if they can't answer the question of how their business is going to continue to run, if they, you know, as you say, you know, don't show up to the store with the keys. I think that is a fundamental question and a, and a very important point that you're bringing up Ricky from your own experience. Um, What advice would you have for those people that are recognizing maybe now as they ask themselves this question, I am the only one with the keys. And if I don't show up to the, you know, to the virtual store uh, for my clients and my customers, this business ceases to exist.
1: Yeah. So, and depending on where people are in their trajectory in the industry, they're in the answer is largely going to be, it depends, but, but think about um, how much, technology allows us to apply leverage today, right? A small example might be rather than uh, let's say you have an inbox for your website, your small business that you sell goods at that you make in your house, rather than having to respond to each email that comes into your inbox, how do you set up a workflow that allows you to automatically respond to a batch of emails and then filter the ones that are worth your time and attention as the owner of that business, right? Those are the little things that even being a sole proprietor or an individual business owner, you have more more technology at your disposal today and more assets to apply to the problems that your business is experiencing than you ever have before, right? Uh, Between YouTube and Twitter, you can find more information about how to run a business effectively than you ever could have before. And I think People need to snap out of, you know, it's the, it's the conundrum of I'm sitting there responding to emails 12 hours a day, keeping the door open. How do I take time away from that to, to allow myself to build the foundation of growing this business? And that becomes very hard to do. You have to make time for it, right? You have to be purposeful about wanting to graduate beyond opening that door to allowing yourself the ability to scale, right? So yeah. I, I would urge people to just... Um, Focus as much on on the oil in the engine as opposed to keeping the engine on and running the entire time. Right, that's that's the one thing that's difficult to do, and I'm sympathetic about that. You know, when you got your heads down and you're working 12, 14, 16 hours a day as a as you know as a single owner, uh, it it gets very hard to to zoom out and look at you know think about it from the outside. You know, you'll notice me like providing unsolicited advice to some of these people listening. It's always easy to preach, right? But you, you should be preaching to yourself and say, okay, if I were talking to a friend that were running their business this way, what would be the advice that I would give them? And how could they think about these problems a little bit differently?
0: Yeah. Well, maybe partially solicited, Ricky, because even as I think about my own business, I'm at a place where I'm three, four X scaling right now and, um, you know, challenged with those same, those same problems to step back and think about things strategically and how do you continue to grow, but maintain, yeah. you know, the quality of business and quality of service. So um, very much appreciate that perspective and you're right we are in this amazing time where there is a kind of there's a technology an app you know a a something that can help um alleviate a bottleneck somewhere in the process but we just have to avail ourselves of those and learn about them and um, and then take the time to integrate it. But the,
1: the, this conversation is a real-time example of you being strategic about your business, right? You, you could sit there and wait for customers to call you and, and you can only support so many clients at a time, but you running this podcast, you having these conversations with people is not only serving, as I understand, your self-fulfillment goal of doing better, providing you know, better leadership for the world and giving back to people, but you're doing so by by um, really you know you're you're putting an exponential on your voice you're you're putting it in a format that allows hundreds thousands of people to listen to this and learn from you and learn a little bit about you and learn about the things that you can help them with and you know just that kudos to you for for taking the time as this is time investment on your your end as well
0: yeah thank you for that and i I find myself. I learned so much, you know, personally from these conversations as well. So it it um, it's good that begets good. That begets good. You were talking about the transition to get into consulting and how that kind of opened up the aperture for you on a reflection around the way that you ran um, your business as a as a um, you know an armada of shops. Um, as opposed to a, you know a highly aligned enterprise Yeah so another humbling experience that that was part of
1: the what do I have to lose at that point uh, Moss I said look life is only going to get more complicated. I'm at a place where you know I'm not married I don't have kids I can take risks now I can uh, uh, going back to finish school and, and starting a new career path and going in a completely different direction is, is scary for most people right uh, You and I've talked about, Naval Ravikant before. And what he says is when, when you've started scaling a summit and you get halfway up and that you see that the route to the top of the mountain is actually to go back down and go up another mountain is very difficult for a lot of people to do. They'd rather continue doing that summit from where they're at because of the effort that they've put in. And for me, it was, okay, you know what, this is going to be a dead end mountain for me. I need to go back down and start over again. But that journey was humbling in 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 a couple of respects. I because I had gone back after running, you uh, know, still a sizable business. Might have been an armada of shops, but I was doing multi million dollar P and and having responsibility for kind of being the head honcho and having CEO on my business card to being looked at as a fresh out of college undergrad. Right, uh, w- was um, w- was kind of. Um, frustrating at first, but I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I've got time on my side. I can, I can do this. Um, and when I started, uh, at Accenture, they, they made me an offer, um, after telling me that they usually don't recruit for my school, they ended up making me an offer. And I started as uh, a, a bright eyed analyst back in, in May, 2011. Um, and man, I I was literally restocking coffee in that office for about the first six months, right? And I was like, what yeah. have I gotten myself into? You know, went from uh, I still, and I don't mean this to to sound um, like a humble brag, but I used to drive to work in a Range Rover and restock coffee. I was like, what the hell am I doing with my life? This this isn't maybe what it was intended to be.
0: Yeah. Um, but how I, did I you, looked. How did you adjust your mindset, recognizing that, um, you know, you were an analyst alongside other people that. Were college grads from well-known, reputable universities, undoubtedly, yep. but they weren't also, uh, you know, ex CEOs of a multi-million-dollar business.
1: Yeah, um, it wasn't easy. I I just think it was uh, looking at the problem from how much I didn't know, as opposed to trying to prove to people how much I did know. Right. So, it's okay. okay, how much how much can I learn? What I came here to learn. Right. That was my biggest thing, and the reason why I chose consulting was it was the one industry where I knew I could do a lot of different things in a short period of time. that's really what I was looking for. Right. We, we having spent time as a product guy, we product people always talk about product market fit. I think there's a career person fit. And as we talk about leadership, I think that's incredibly important. And why I, the advice I give to my nieces and nephews is try as many things as you can. And there will be things that feel more natural to you than others. So consulting for me was that stepping stone. And fortunately, even though part of that, that particular gig involved restocking coffee, guess where everyone in the office came to every morning, right, was, was to get their coffee. And I got to meet almost everybody across the project. So I turned that like experience of, oh man, this is a shitty job To Okay, what can I learn? What can I do? Hey, this guy actually asked for you know Pete's coffee. And, and, and I learned about him as a managing director uh, leading a mobility portion of the work stream. And I was like, oh, mobile... I've done, you know, cell phone stores and, and around this time, you'll remember smartphones were really starting to take off because of the iPhone. And it really changed the world of enterprise Blackberries to, you know, customer facing mobile applications, enterprise facing mobile applications. And that was the, the sort of lightning moment of, okay, that, that sounds really exciting to me. That's where I want to take my career next. And, um, you know, even outside of the the sort of responsibilities in that particular project as an analyst, I, I told this individual, whatever you need, you need me to clean up decks. You need me to pre- create a presentation for you. You need me to write up your notes in a meeting, whatever it takes, I will do, because that's what I want to learn more about. And that's kind of what kickstarted this path of mobility strategy and, and eventually uh, into the internet of things that, um, that, that was
0: kind of the, the
1: impetus of that, that, um,
0: that change. I think there's a very important lesson here, which is well. There's really two pieces to it. One is um, you never know where important relationships are going to come from, so be open to everyone that you speak to and be curious about them, and And not be kind. And be kind. (laughs) kind. Yeah, and I think the second thing is when when having those conversations, you know, with the curiosity, like you were able to open yourself up to find out you know, what's everybody doing with the, with enough curiosity to say like, well, what sounds good and then pursue those conversations more. And then when you found it, you know, you jumped at it, you took action, you spoke up and took the initiative as opposed to waiting around for, um, a position to open up or, you know, for them to bring something to you. And I think those are two um, qualities that are, that seem to be innate in you, Ricky, but um, are valuable lessons for anyone, um, really, at any point in their in their leadership journey.
1: I uh, I tell my teams often, um, say yes until you can say no, right? And, and what that means is you should be open to experiences. Uh, you should be open to learning about um, engagements, learning about what somebody has to talk to you about until you say it's either not right for you or it's not a fit, or you want to go in a different direction or later in your career where saying no is more important than saying yes, right? Where you're, you're being approached by a bunch of different ideas. Um, Derek Sivers, if you've heard the name before, uh, you know, very, very famous uh, CEO and author um, talked about, you know, how he took a, a gig playing guitar at a, a, a pig show or something, right? I don't remember the exact story, but that particular gig of him playing guitar for $50 at, at this pig show led to his career unfolding in a very different way. And I think that, um, that's, that's especially for people early in their career. Um, you know, I think being open to experiences and saying yes, until you can say no is, is a, a piece of advice that I think is, is, uh, quite powerful.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. So you got into the mobile space, you were all in, I will do whatever it takes to learn, learn, learn. It seems like at that point you had allowed yourself to be humble enough and, um, not worry about what other people were thinking, but about what was most important to you.
1: That, that was it. It was, um, it was waking up excited about what I was, the challenges that I was presented with that day, right? I got a, an opportunity to work for insurance clients that were thinking about, you know, moving away from insurance agents to delivering experiences through mobile applications, got to work for defense agencies that were thinking about how they accelerate their missions, utilizing mobile technologies and that just kind of was, okay, this is exciting, right? It's kind of at the intersection of me being creative because in itself, both IoT and mobility is is not about the technology, it's about the outcomes that they drive and being creative about how you leverage the technology to drive those right kinds of outcomes became extremely exciting. And I do have to thank um, people that were along that journey for me. And I have a lot of respect for Accenture as an organization that, uh, a, a gentleman that, you know, Eddie Gonzalez introduced, you and I, Moss, and, and a guy that he and I both have mutual respect for um, at Accenture uh, had, had made the comment that it's, it's, a, it's a, an environment where people don't have their elbows out, right? It's, it's really around being successful together as a group. And I learned a lot from the people around me. And at some point, the, the levels became less relevant, right? Whether I was an analyst or a consultant or a manager, it became part of this team that I was learning for, that I was contributing to, um, and that just became um, sort of the fuel and this sort of fire of okay, I like I like this, I like being in this space. It it um, uh, it, it um, gives me purpose, and and I enjoy what I do. And I've always kind of led my life in the sort of money will follow, right? Do what you love, and and uh, the the sort of success will come on the other side of it, but. Um, how you do everything is how you do anything. That's another sort of one of my favorite sayings. And just putting my everything into the work that I did and bringing my best every day uh, really opened up a lot of opportunities for me. From you know being a part of a project to leading a project. Um, eventually, I, I took a, a bit of a leave of absence to try and uh, try my hand at entrepreneurship again. That was a humbling experience that that didn't quite go the way that I expected. Ended up back at Accenture. Um, and then got staffed on a project uh, to lead uh, IoT work at, at Sprint. And um, they ended up making me an offer. It's quite quite scary for a consultant to like do a piece of strategy work and then your client says, Hey, why don't you come in and do this full time for me? And the place I was in my career at that time was it was, you know, it was okay. What what else? What I've gotten the the breadth of experience from consulting, it's time to get deep. Yeah. Into a specific part of industry. And yeah. uh, it was scary, right? It was one of those, like, there's more that I don't know about this world that I know. But that's something that I, um, I think lifelong learning is incredibly important and being open to new challenges is incredibly important.
0: Yeah, I, I want to um, hit home something that you that you said a moment ago that I think is really important, which is that you got to a point where you stopped looking at the titles of people and you looked at what your role is on a team and how you can contribute. And so often, people at all levels get caught up in what's my title, what's their title, what title do I want next, as opposed to what is this meaningful, exciting work that we're doing, and how can I contribute to it, and how can I learn? And I imagine that that was something that um, maybe informed your decision to take the sprint opportunity. It absolutely did. And look, titles...
1: They do matter, right? But I think it, it's it's a, a component of maybe how people sometimes measure self worth. I, I think we all, you know, status signaling and being human beings is is kind of kind of important. So I'm not going to sit here and say it, it doesn't matter at all. But I think every leader has a choice in in what that means for their team. And and I I talk a lot of, with my team about living our culture as opposed to talking culture as the, about this like distant thing called culture, right? Uh, and and one example of that is i do not allow anybody on my team to introduce themselves on a call with either their title or who they work for this is so common in corporate america right which is all hey my my name is massimo i am a project manager and i work for david right like now you've deduced yourself to to you know somebody else you've tied your value to somebody else and you you've deduced yourself to a, a, a position and I, I always tell my team, do not say who you work for, say what you do. What do you lead? What is the difference you're making? What do you want to be known for? That's your identity, right? So when you get on a call and you you introduce yourself, I, to this day, in front of my customers, don't say, hey, my name is Ricky. I'm VP of so-and-so. I say, my name is Ricky. I lead the IoT portion of our business, and this is the impact that I'm here to create, right? And that's, I think, incredibly important um, for people to have that, that ownership and you know ha- have proud Yeah. Be proud of your personal brand and the value that you bring to the table.
0: Yeah. And you're, you're communicating your why you're communicating. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm in this meeting. It's not because of my title or because I work for this person, uh, but it's because I'm here to to add value or to the conversation or to the team. Um, Precisely. So in the IOT space right now, um, internet of things, you know, What's, what is the landscape when you, when you think about um, the future of that, like what gets you most excited about the work that you're doing and, and what you see possible in the next two, three, you know, five, 10 years? So in the,
1: the shortest summary, I, I kind of say the physical world around us is growing senses, which I think is super exciting right Um, and that's due to a combination of different technologies that internet of things really frustrates me as a as a a a title right or even as a a a label because if you decompose those each of those things okay internet connectivity things you couldn't have picked a worse word in, in the title itself but but really it is around um the the sort of Uh, ubiquity of connectivity around us. Think about, you know, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all of these different types of of technologies that enable connectivity. Think about cloud infrastructure and the ability to store this data. We don't have to have hard drives everywhere. Think about the amount of compute power that you have in your smartphone. And most people know this by now, but like the phone that you have in in your hand and that you're listening to this podcast on has more power than the first space shuttle that went to the moon, More, more processing capability, right? So a combination of these technologies is really allowing people to say, okay, well, what if I could solve a different business challenge through connecting sensors uh, over um, the internet and and, and, leveraging the data coming off these sensors to do new things, do things better, uh, and and be more efficient? And uh, we've seen, uh, though IoT or M2M or telemetry has been around for a while, we're really starting to see the acceleration and growth because it's becoming cheaper and more efficient to try and apply those technologies to people, right? Um, just last week, I, my, my office is in the basement of my home and, and I look out my backyard and, uh, you know, kind of scared the crap out of me as somebody's walking through my backyard, but I realized they worked for the utility company and they were there to check the water meter behind my house, right? Think about how inefficient that is. Uh, You've got once a month somebody walking around looking at a reading on a meter that's going to change a certain amount of value every time, right? Uh, There's real cost to to paying that person, the cost of of running the fleet of people. There's neighborhoods all around um, my community like that. That's an example of how connecting that meter over cellular technology and getting that reading in real time not only makes the utility company more efficient because they don't have to send that individual out, but now you can start to, let's say, offer a different type of product to that customer that's that's based on the data that you have on their utilization, right? Uh, hey, Ricky, uh, you know, my, my power company does this. They can tell me in 30 minute increments how much power I'm using in my home and what changes I can make to be more efficient. So those are the types of things that I think IoT really enables I I summarize it as sometimes it's the hammer looking for the nail, right? If you uh, if you've heard of uh, the, that that old adage of um, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail to you. I think people in the IoT industry they've got the hammer, but what it's really about is finding the nails in those specific industries that are worth hitting with those hammers. And there's some real examples of where we're starting to see scale, um, you know, fleet management. Uh, a big problem was truckers, back to incentives. Truckers were incentivized to drive as many miles as they could because they got paid by the mile. Now, when you're driving 18 hours and you're driving a you know, three-ton semi down the highway and you're falling asleep, that's really dangerous for the trucker and the people around them. Uh, so there was this mandate around driver logging, right? Which driver logs are very easy to forge if you walked into a public restroom recently and saw somebody's signature on the, the back of the door and the restrooms still look like crap. You know, People can write whatever they want in a log. That doesn't mean it's true. But the National uh, Transportation Highway Safety Administration implemented electronic driver logs back in 2017 or 2018 that we now leverage telemetry data from these vehicles and can tell exactly how many miles, how many hours a trucker is driven and whether they're in compliance or not, which ultimately saves lives, right? And those are the the types of stories and the types of use cases that I think make IOT really powerful in in the sort of outcomes that it's able to deliver in a variety of industries.
0: And I would imagine that even more broadly, when we think about, um, you know, climate change and, you know, green energy initiatives, that there there are so many applications for us to solve really big, complex problems that we're facing by using um connectivity and looking at this data in a more incremental uh, way and simplifying processes. I think there's, there's definitely a belief and a fear out there that, you know, technology is going to um, displace jobs. And I'm curious, like what, what is your perspective on that being on the front line of these sort of innovations?
1: I, I don't, I, I think that could be um, far from the truth, right? It's like, it's like saying, you um, hey, the introduction of cars is going to get rid of horses, right? It's it's a very crude analogy, but I think it will create jobs for people that are, again, hopefully more meaningful in the value that they can add. There's things that humans will do that I don't, I'll you know, be careful when I say this, kind of being in the space. There's things that machines will never be able to that humans can do, right? But it's about doing those things that that machines can do better than humans can do so that the humans can do the things that humans do best, right? Yes. And that's relationship. That's emotion. That's, you know, think about the people um, that worked in, in uh, automotive factories in Detroit, stamping metal pieces. One piece of fender, I'm there every day and I'm doing the same thing over and over and over again. Workplace injuries, lack of satisfaction of work. A robot can do that better, do it more efficiently, do it with, with less cost, so that the human can now either monitor the assembly of robots or teach other people how to use the robots right so i think it's really thinking about what are the the jobs that are going to be created when we hear about autonomous you know back to the trucking example oh there will be autonomous trucks that's going to get rid of, uh, of of drivers in the trucking industry no it, it'll create jobs for in many cases there's companies that are doing um you know 90 percent of the time the truck can drive itself but in 10 percent of the cases there will be human intervention required You're just going to have an operator sitting inside of a room in a data center somewhere operating that truck for the last two miles virtually, right? That job is probably going to pay more than what that trucker would have earned over a week of driving. So it's really thinking about all of the possibilities that will get enabled as a result of these technology changes rather than being fixated on, oh, that particular job isn't going to exist anymore.
0: Yes, absolutely. And there is more fulfilling work and those people can be closer to home and have dinner with their families and you know there's so many benefits to it um when you think about your development as a as a leader and as just as an individual ricky and you think about what we've been through over the last two years what would you say is you know one of the biggest lessons that you've taken away um, or that you've learned over the last two years as we sit here the end of Q1 of 2022?
1: <laughs> I, I don't know if this was a lesson just over the last two years, but in, in preparing for this conversation as well, I just, you know, I thought about my journey in, in that quote unquote leader word and, and um, how it's transpired. And I think it starts with being able to lead yourself first. And I'll bring this back to why it matters for COVID, right? But I think self-awareness and reflection um, is incredibly important. People don't spend enough time getting to know what makes them tick, getting to know, um, I have this concept of your personal weather report. Not everyone comes to work as their best self every day. Some days are gonna be cloudy, some days are gonna be rainy. And understanding who you are on a daily basis as well as your macro picture allows you to make better decisions. And when you can authentically be your best self is the only time that you can be a better leader. right? Um, and to your comment about what's changed in the last two years, I think it's provided people with a lot of perspective about what's important, right? Yeah. Um, I think the world effectively, at some point, we all felt like it was coming to an end, really um, you know, being stuck at home or, or having to adapt to working from home. And, and even in you know, the, the technology space, IoT actually had a shining moment because now you were able to do things that you weren't when there weren't people walking around checking things. I just think it was incredibly important for many people changed. It was, what was it called? The 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 uh,
0: uh,
1: mass resignment, right? Or I can't remember. Yes, the, exact the great word.
0: resignation. The, the
1: great resignation. Thank you. And I think a lot of that came from people being able to slow down and say, man, what I was doing in my rat race day to day of you know being on a plane 45 weeks out of the year and I'll put my hand up. I did that as well. That was probably a part of the, the, uh, a change for, uh, you know, my, my recent career change in the, the company that I've joined recently was bringing that self-awareness back of what's important to me, where can I add value the most. And the, the work you and the home you are not different people. I think people end up in this um, sort of, you know, uh, misconception that they are who they are at work and they are who they are at home. Yes, there's going to be different parts of your personalities that you bring out in each place, but you're the same individual. And if you're not bringing your authentic self-aware self to those environments, you're not you're not being true to yourself. And how do you expect to lead anybody else if you're not being true? You can't lead yourself. You can't lead anybody else,
0: right? Yes, uh, absolutely. The insight that, that people have gained over the last two years, the self-awareness, the opportunity to reflect on what matters most to them, to take stock of uh, what they're doing, how they're spending their time is going to be more important going forward than, than you could ever imagine. And for those that are listening, that are talking to their teams about going back to the office and getting back to things in person, this is going to be as big of a change as it was for everyone to be working from home. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that it is, it's as big of a change. It's not any different. We're not, cause we're not going back to something that is um, familiar in the same way because we have all changed over the last two years. And I, I bring this up because um, I think there's a fear for a lot of people that the pendulum is going to very quickly swing back um, because the pendulum swung very quickly in reaction to um, the pandemic. And the reality is it doesn't have to swing back. We can be intentional and thoughtful about it. And what you're bringing up, Ricky, is to take um, stock in what have I learned about myself? What is important to me? Um, how have I actually integrated work in life and realized that it is true, that it is just one thing. And I am, I am one human who um, has multiple facets to my life and be very intentional about that. It's the opportunity is pre- presented to all of us, um, but we have to be um, take agency to make sure that we take advantage of that opportunity.
1: Yeah, you you used a key word there, and that's integrate. And I think you know people we often hear this um, nebulous concept called work life balance. There's no such thing. There's work life integration in the world that we live in today, where your email is on your phone and your your office is in your basement. Uh, you have to figure out a way that works best for each individual person, and that's important. It's it's difficult as a leader to get to know people in your team, right? It's depending on what your, your reporting structure is, but not everyone likes to work the same way, and not everyone gets things done at the same at the same time. So, um, back to living our culture, I tell my team like I don't measure input. I don't measure whether you sat at your desk for six, seven, eight, or ten hours. I don't care if you worked eighty hours a week. I'm going to measure the output that you create, and if that means you had to take two hours off in the afternoon to look after your family or do your laundry or whatever it is that you needed to do, figuring out what works best for you and knowing your people well enough to, to know what's important for them, right? Um, not everyone has come out of this journey from COVID being more self-aware. In fact, some might be more frustrated having been in that environment in their home. And I think, you know, helping as a leader, helping those around you that haven't been as successful in that journey say, hey, what? What matters for you? How can I help you be successful? What's going to work for you and that you can bring your best self to work every day because that's going to help us meet our goals and me meet my goal, right? I can't do what I do without the group of people around me. And many of my development conversations are really about the people that are in front of me. It's not about, oh, here are the team goals and here are the things that we're tasked with and what are you going to do for me? It's what can I do for you? What are you looking like? What's what's going on in your life That's going to make you distracted or better, or how can I help you be the best version of yourself? Those conversations I think are the most critical ones to be having right now, when there is now the pendulum moving in the other direction of, okay, well, what's expected of me and what do I do? And do I need to be in the office or do I not?
0: Yes. Um, That's excellent, Ricky. What do you do for yourself though? You know, uh, being a, um, a leader that is in service of their teams is exactly you know your approach and i'm sure your team is is grateful for that um i guess my last question for you is where are you finding inspiration and where are you ensuring that you're making sure that your needs are met so that you can have the capacity to be there for your team
1: great question um look we talked about lifelong learning earlier and this is the conversation you and i often have is is surrounding yourself with smart people and we live in a day and age where surrounding yourself with smart people isn't just limited to your immediate group anymore, right? Uh, people have an opportunity to listen to your voice and the voice of leaders that you talk to. Um, you know, I listen to podcasts on leadership often, so I can understand and not replicate what worked for other people. I don't think there's anything as such. You you can't redo or relive somebody else's success, but. You can learn a lot from what other people have done and, and incorporate that into the way that, you know, what, what is your authentic leadership style? Um, one example of that that I heard from, uh, I can't even remember the guy's name anymore, as many podcasts as I listen to, but what at once served as the CEO of Home Depot and um, used to handwrite cards to his his entire staff, people that had lived and, and um, really shown the value of that culture, got a handwritten note from the CEO. and. That's something that I found was actually something that I'd like to do, right? So once a month, I sit down and then then I do handwritten notes. I I did uh, handwritten Christmas cards for my team. And I was surprised at the number of text messages and calls I got saying, you know, hey, you could have just sent an Amazon gift card over, over the internet. But that little note that was really contextual to that individual person and what was going on in their life it really brings out the best of people, right? So for me, it's really around learning what works for other leaders and bringing that into my personal style. Um, for me, it's, it's really um, back to that self-awareness part, right? What, where, what am I struggling with? Where do I need to improve myself? Is that, you know, mental, physical, spiritual? Uh, how do I bring the best version of myself to, to my work in life, to the people around me, to the re- relationships around me every single day? Um, that's really what it comes down to is this just, you know, that constant, you opened up by saying, Hey, this, um, relentless pursuit of, of, um, you know, believing in yourself. It's, it's really a a really important characteristic for me is just, Hey, I, my only competition is who I was yesterday. How do I become better than who I was and bring my best self to the people around me? And that's at work and at home. How can I be a better life partner? How can I be a better son? How can I be a better leader? Uh, and an authentic one in, in each aspect of my life.
0: Yeah. The word that comes to mind, Ricky, is that everything you do is intentional. And that is probably one of the the, the core principles of leadership is that you know, to understand your intent and lead with intent. And, and you do that in spades, my friend. So thank you so much uh for sharing your story and sharing your your wisdom and insights today.
1: It's been great being
0: here with you. Thanks. Thanks, Moss. Thanks for joining us for another episode where we explore the leadership mind. Remember the mind is where the connection between our being and doing, our intent and our actions. Make sure to visit our website, mossymovacus.com where you can like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Anchor FM and Apple so you'll never miss an episode. To download my Conscious Communication Workbook to support you in turning toxic conflict into collaborative gold, please visit massimobacchuscom forward slash workbook. While you're at it, if you found the episode valuable, please rate the podcast on your preferred platform and share it with your community so others can join and listen as well. Until next week, remember to lead with compassion, curiosity, and gratitude. Leadership is a gift.